This is The Global Custodian. There's always a FinReg Angle podcast keeping you up to date with the latest developments in financial regulation. Hello and welcome to episode five of There's Always a FinReg Angle. I'm John Watkins, editor of Global Custodian, and I'm joined virtually, as always, by a cast of FinReg experts today, Sean Tuffy and Virginia O'Shea. Welcome back. Good to be here. Good to be here. Hey. Joe was unavailable today, unfortunately. Um, there's been a few rumours of uh, fame going to his head, circulating. Uh, he's been linked <laughs> with a James Corden-style move to LA to host his own uh, late-night FinReg talk show. So uh, that's true, Joe. Good luck. We did call him a FinReg expert last week, and he, he enjoyed that, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. The new Tiger um, King. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Virginia, how are you? It's been, it's been a while since our, uh, our last podcast, isn't it? A few weeks. Um, how have you been? What have you been up to? Ah, not too bad. Not too bad. Um, I've been doing a fair amount of research. I'm spending a lot of time talking to people in standards at the moment. So, um, <laughs> unfortunately, a lot of people are quite depressed. So, um, ah. not probably not the most exciting crowd, unfortunately, within the fact that there aren't, aren't, uh, isn't much progress for them at the moment. But uh, I've been talking about T2S and things like that. So, very uh, oh. heavy, hardcore, uh, centralised <laughs> European infrastructure. <laughs> I came to you for a nice, light-hearted start of the podcast, and that's what you give me. Uh, I'm Sean, how, how are you? Um, I mean, I'm going to go to Sean, because I know the pubs in Ireland are open next Monday, so it's a good start for, uh, for us to ask Sean how he's doing. Yeah, doing very good. Yeah, for uh, lockdown is the end of the hard lockdowns in sight, so we're uh, looking forward to Monday, uh, 29th of June, when we start moving forward uh, to sort of reopening, so it'll be nice to... Uh, be able to go outside and see people again. So very much looking forward to that. Um, and then on the FinReg side, just, you know, keeping up with uh, the work ESMA and the European Commission have been doing, they're starting to sort of spring back to life, um, producing more more and more documents and consultations. So I guess uh, nature is healing, um, as they say. So uh, <laughs> we're, we're, getting, we're getting back at it. Yeah, in more ways than one. So um, that, that's a good point, actually. Uh, a lot of, lot of goings on in the last few weeks. Um, well, we'll do a bit of a news update, um, certainly related to some of the, uh, the global custodian and security services news. Um, what's, what's been your, your favorite FinReg moment from, from the last few weeks then, uh, Sean? We'll, we'll come back and start with you. Yeah, I think my, uh, actually my, my favorite moment, honestly, at this point is sort of the, uh, the continued, from all sides, the EU uh, commission getting pressure to uh, change or modify CSDR. Um, so I think my, my favorite, my favorite moment was the CMU 2.0 being launched, which, you know, hope springs eternal. Um, but I, I do think it's, it's interesting that, uh, with that launch came another high level shot at, uh, the CSDR rules. So I think that's one of my favorite ongoing dramas in, in the FinReg world at the moment. That CMU paper had the most bizarre diagrams and uh, graphics in it that I've ever seen. It, I, it looked like something out of an Isha nightmare, I think. My God. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't <laughs> know. Terrifying. The graphic design, that, yeah, the graphic designers they use were, I'm not quite sure what the plan was, but um, I think the CMU. I don't know what they were smoking. Uh, yeah. I mean, the, the interesting thing about the CMU 2.0 is honestly like two thirds of it's just sort of basically repackaged CMU 1.0. Um, so it's it'll be interesting <laughs> to see uh what gets progressed when we get to uh, the the commission's recommendations this fall? That's great, Sean. Thanks. And Virginia, what about you? What's been your top FinReg moment of the past few weeks, apart from those uh, crazy graphics you just referenced? Um, 
I'm just thinking, I, I guess there's been a lot of people moves. Um, the FCA's appointment was interesting. Um, so I'm sure we might, well, we'll touch on that later. But certainly that was a big, big piece of news that I've been waiting for. Um, I actually did think it was going to be the front runner. Um, I didn't think it was going to be uh, somebody from outside, but uh, interesting choice. Yeah. Did anyone else think that when they saw the story, it was David Schwimmer, the LSE chief? I didn't, I, I know that LSE has a lot of, the group has a lot of different parts of it, but when I saw LSE chief, oh God, David Schwimmer, that's a huge, huge announcement right in the middle of their affinity deal. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, I mean, it, regardless, it's interesting to go from, I mean, the guy had, what's, he's had sort of long-term experience in the UK treasury, so he's no stranger to red tape and <laughs> bureaucracy. So, I mean, that's kind of a good appointment for the FCA. They need to be able to deal with that level, I guess, unfortunately, because that's the, the kind of thing you have to deal with as a regulator. Um, but also having been as at the group level of, of um, the LSE must have been interesting, given you know how many different business lines it's got, how complicated the, the structure is in terms of all the different moving parts. Um, must have been relatively difficult to coordinate across all of those different individual units. So I guess it might be easier at the FCA. Uh, I expect everyone to sort of be culturally the same, at least um, within the FCA. So um, I expect he'll do all right. But uh, yeah, I don't know what happens yeah. to Chris Willard. What happens to Chris? Is he is he back to being the innovation head again? Does anyone know? <laughs> I actually don't know. I mean, I I think it's an interesting appointment sort of for the reasons you indicated because it, the previous chief, obviously, who's now the head of the Bank of England was a, very much a macro prudential and banking background. And so we have much more of a markets um, orientation with the new chief, which is sort of interesting for the FCA's priorities, which frankly are, are much more securities and markets based. So, but definitely stepping in with a lot going on. So it'll be interesting to see um what the priorities are and sort of what gets restacked with the new leadership. I don't envy him the job though. I bet it's going to be a tough one. <laughs> That's all oh I think. yeah. No. Jesus. Absolutely. And um, like I said, it's been a, been a little while since we recorded our last podcast. Um, lot, lots going on in the past few weeks. It's something that's very current. And I've got to admit, I've been on holiday for the last week. So uh, I'm not too up to date with this, but um, uh, lots of goings on in the SEC with over in the US with uh, Jay Clayton. Ginny, maybe you're the, the best person to give us a brief kind of outline of what, what's been going on there uh, to, to our listeners. I mean, it's not entirely clear what's going on. That's part of the interest in this story, to be perfectly honest. It's somewhat, uh, Let's just leave it at that. Uh, let's be very vague. Baffling. <laughs> but, uh, well, no, no, I mean... It, is so, so the it seems Jay Clayton wants to be um, you know the, the new prosecutor in in, in uh, I think it's South uh, New York, and he may or may not have been appointed, or so there may be a sort of an appointment coming from somewhere in the uh, U.S. government, but we're not entirely sure where. Um, and the guy before him seemingly didn't realise he was going to be out of a job. He hasn't been in that job that long, I don't think. It's just uh, two years, maybe, he's been in it. He's done a fair amount, uh, Berman, uh, during his tenure. So um, it's it seems to be some sort of political intrigue going on here, which I find, always find fascinating, as you know. Um, <laughs> but so so there was, there was some sort of public... Um, outcry by Berman last at the end of last week uh given that he didn't realize he was going to be out of a job and then 
it came out that the head of the current head of the SEC is, is maybe taking over his job, but we don't know whether that will get approved. And since that happened this week, we've heard two of the um, the committee that needs to approve Clayton uh, in the new role come out and say that he needs to stand down. So I don't think it will go through. I think he'll remain the SEC head. That's my that's my what's the word mystic meg moment here so i think i think he'll end up this whole thing <laughs> or get swept aside and he'll just end up staying at the sec because he really hasn't actually done that much i hate to say this at the sec he hasn't been one of the more controversial sort of heads he's done rugby eye um and that's about it uh he hasn't really annoyed any of the wall street guys no i think that's because most of his time has been taken up having to uh to tell people that i'm trading the bitcoin etf isn't coming along anytime soon that's a full-time job. Yes. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's got after some cryptocurrency firms, but he hasn't really done much else. I mean, there's there's been some frauds investigations. They've done a fair amount. I mean, we're going to be talking about this later on. But yeah, I, I think the SEC under his leadership hasn't been revolutionary. Not that it, you know, not that regulators need to be, but I, I just, yeah, it's sort of been slightly more muted than I, I, I think the, the previous administrator, the previous incarnation was. Well, I mean, I think, I mean, yes and no, right? Because I think the, you know, they, they did finalize those ETF rules, which took better part of a decade or over a decade to get to completion. <laughs> and he's also pushed through a, a revived the, the derivatives rule proposal, um, which was considered dead in the water. So I think it's been an interesting tenure um, and certainly enforcement hasn't, I don't think, been a priority beyond sort of occasionally taking a run at some crypto firms. But I think from an asset management perspective, you know, he's progressed a, a number of sort of key pieces. Um, and he did have that, they do have that open consultation or recently closed, but on looking at fun naming conventions in the US, which is becoming increasingly sort of a tricky standpoint. So I think it depends on what you're looking for out of your SEC commissioner, I guess, if you want, I and I'm sort of of the opinion that SEC, ESMA, FCA, I don't think you want a revolutionary every time. It's really you should theoretically be building sort of incrementally on the, the work of your predecessors. True, which is exactly what he's done. Yeah, I mean, he hasn't come up with anything spectacularly new, but I guess, yes, you're right. You don't want the regulator coming in too revolutionary. But, I mean, he could have he could have come up with some, some interesting, you know, keynotes there. Um, I don't think he's been p- particularly exciting when he's been speaking either. <laughs> But that's just my view of it. He doesn't strike me as the prosecutor type either. So uh, interesting. (laughs) There's been also some interesting developments at the SEC with um, a new commissioner being proposed um, to replace the the exiting Democratic um, commissioner. And Hester Pierce also looks like she's going to get another term, um, which is interesting for a number of reasons, um, especially around as we were talking about crypto and um, Bitcoin, as she has been she's much more of an advocate of sort of pushing the bounds of allowable product um, than some of the others at the SEC. So I think that sets up some interesting dynamics going forward. Thanks, everyone. That's, that's all your highlights from the, from the news. We've got a couple of uh, GC stories to get into now. Um, firstly, the uh, this just happened yesterday, actually, the European Commission's uh, recent review of AFMD, which I'm sure Sean and Ginny are both uh, familiar with, uh, may give custodians an expanded depository role for their hedge fund clients. The, uh, report from the EC, which was 
published earlier this month, uh, assess the need for a depository passport for the European single market to avoid a possible concentration risk. Uh, as Joe wrote yesterday, the EC stated that the AFMD rules, as they're currently framed, state an entity can act only as a depository for funds domiciled in the country where it is based. For example, an Irish depository overseeing an Irish AIF. Um, however, the report said that this goes against one of the central principles of EU regulations, and the AIFMD specifically said that services from one member state should be possible across all 27 countries of the EU um, that, that utilise a single market passport. So, uh, sure, Ginny, what do you what do you think about that one? If you've seen that. Yeah, so I think it's interesting. I mean, the dream, the dream of the depository passport um, has been around for a while. Um, so it's, it's at least over 10, 12 years ago um, when it was originally proposed for for usage, actually. And so the logic of it makes a lot of sense. Um, in particular, since it was originally proposed for usage, you now have AFMD and usage five depository standards, which essentially harmonize depository rules in Europe. Um, so it's not surprising that the argument's been brought back up to possibly revisit the idea of creating the depository passport. <clears throat> now, I question whether it makes sense to do for AFMD alone or if it's something that needs to be bundled or done concurrently with uh, the usage framework, which is also under review. But um, it, it will certainly draw a lot of attention, I think. Um, and a lot of there was the last time it was mentioned, um, there were some pretty heated opinions on both sides of the, the issue. So it will be something to watch for sure. Agreed on yeah. that one. Yeah. <laughs> <Fully agree. laughs> Good. Good. And, and now, uh, you know, there, there is so much SFDR, SRD2, um, CSDR news going on, on Global Custodian at the moment, but CSDR just keeps keeps coming up and up again. And um, we already had that, the working group from, uh, from the, the CMU and their recommendations to the European Union again to review the CSDR. Um, but, and then we also had, just after that, was the uh, ECSDA, I'm sure I got that one right, uh, asking the European Commission to reconsider delaying the buy-in regime to avoid a potential bottleneck in a post-trade IT projects for the industry. Uh, stop me if you've heard this one before, another association <laughs> asking for a CSDR <laughs> delay. Um, I don't know, it seems strange to mention one um, when you know, some of the other letters included a dozen signatures on the same um, same appeal, but from what I've been told by some of some of our uh, readers is that the ECSDA doesn't actually weigh in that awfully and or, or you know doesn't do this lightly. So this is actually quite a big request to, to it stepping up. Um, are we are we really going to see SDR, CSDR, or the SDR part of CSDR not get delayed, Jenny? Um, I mean, I keep saying no because I, I, I keep seeing that the sort of the, the, the push onwards to get it get it through because we've been, it has been delayed uh, overall for quite some time. Um, but yes, you're right. Exeter doesn't generally um, pipe up about these things, and and Exeter does represent all of the CSDs in the region <laughs> and beyond. So um, that's going to be impacted by this. So I would say. Um, that if they're saying it, the regulator really should be listening because um, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to push something through that's going to be detrimental to, to market security and safety. And to be fair, you know, IT reviews and systems and things like that uh, at a time when we sort of have enough problems, to be perfectly frank. Right. Um, so so I would say um, this should 
this should inform the the EC and and ESMA that that something is up if if the you know the CSD association is saying this. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think it's um, between that and you know us. We were poking fun at the high level CMU 2.0 report, but I mean, those it carries a lot of weight in Brussels. I mean, in terms of having so you're having a higher level um, pushback on on the concept now. So I think it's certainly. I mean, in one way, it's the hope that kills you, right? So certainly you need to, the industry probably should keep continue to prepare for it to happen, but it does seem like the pressure is sort of mounting on all sides um, to sort of, add, if nothing else, just delay and reassess. Um, but I mean, as we've said in probably every podcast since we've started that the, the commission is pretty steadfast in its um, insistence on pushing ahead. So, I mean, it's sort of... Uh, where the rubber meets the road and that the commission is going to sort of climb down, I think will be interesting to, to watch. How that gets messaged will be interesting as well. <laughs> I mean, well, yeah, if- I mean, that's the sort of how you have sort of a retreat with victory will be, I, I think a key part of it. Exactly. I mean, do you think that there's a way the Finberg angle should should compile a letter and send it to? Uh, I think we could. Uh, you know, we we've we've not been known to weigh in on these things either. But the uh, TAA FRA, as we can call ourselves, um, we can we can appeal for the delay on behalf of all our listeners. Actually, we could do it in meme format too. I have I have some I have some out there that we could use. <laughs> oh, if only this wasn't a podcast and we could. Uh, <laughs> Next episode, John, you'll have to paint the picture with words. <laughs> <laughs> let's um, let's move on to our uh, big talking point for the for the day. Then um, we've, we've covered some really some great areas in the last few weeks, and uh, Virginia, off the back of uh, a fantastic piece you've written for Global Custodian recently uh, on enforcement, uh, that'll be our, our area of discussion today. So uh, yeah, look, I, I really recommend everyone to go on to Global Custodian and read Virginia's piece, which is regulatory enforcement, go where the whistle blows, um, which is really good insight into kind of the, the different approaches uh, regulators take and uh, the kind of current state of play. So Virginia, would you mind for, for the sake of our listeners who haven't seen that piece, just kind of outlining yeah, what you wrote about how different regulators are approaching uh, enforcement worldwide? Sure, I'll give you the TLDR. Um, I, I guess in terms of uh, what I would uh, I would say about enforcement is that no one, you know, every regulator seems to vary in its approach to enforcement, although some are picking up on, you know, the SEC, I would say, uh, and the CFTC uh, were probably more of the uh, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, um, have always been, um, I guess, the sort of, sticking people in handcuffs publicly shaming them um and and making sure that uh you know that there's a huge financial whacking great penalty uh to be to pay for for enforcement so i'd say um when i you know first started in the industry i always used to be shocked by how much information they'd te- you know they'd tell you about what, what went on reading through you know sec investigations um, I've spent a lot of time doing this kind of stuff. I find them fascinating, all of these documents, uh, likewise with the FCA documents they produce. But you find out a lot about the, the bad practices that people have in compliance. Um, but, but certainly I'd say they have gone from the naming and shaming and the financial penalties. The complex structure of the US doesn't help matters. So you'll get fines piled on top of fines, piled on top of fines, depending on you know what infraction they have so for you know the cftc the sec finra there could be some of the you know some of the state regulators can get involved occasionally um and once you get 
all of them sticking their oar in for a bit of a you know financial penalty, you get quite a big fine <laughs> at the end of it. So um, I'd say that the US, uh, the, the market structure doesn't help uh, in terms of the, the regulatory structure. Um, and that tends to mean it's a lot more, it's a lot scarier to, 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 to face the wrath of the regulators because there's a team of them all going to jump on your back. Um, so I'd say there's been a lot of complaints about that structure for a long period of time, but we aren't going to see the CFTC and SEC merge, unfortunately. Um, <gasps> they've not Boiler done so, so far in the, in the history. They never will. <laughs> dare um, to dream, though. Dare to dream. I know, we dare to dream. We do. <laughs> um, but in, in terms of Europe, obviously no secret to many that the FCA is the leader in terms of enforcement, uh, particularly with MIFID and, and the like. It's it's done. It's gone after firms um, far, far more aggressively than other regulators so far. Um, it also does a fair amount of naming and shaming. And put on top of that, we've got SMCR, which is you know the personal liability aspect of it, which is even more. Um, frightening than the SEC regulation, oh, you know, the enforcement regime there, um, because you're personally liable and, you know, it can impact your job prospects afterwards, um, which is is quite scary. I mean, obviously, you can get banned in the US, but um, from, from working for a certain period of time, if you if you infringe regulations too. But I'd say SMCR, because it comes out of your own pocket, um, it's, it's different to the rest of Europe. No one else has done this so far. Um, the J- Japanese regulators going down that route, actually, in terms of holding personal liability against people. Um, and I believe that Hong Kong authorities also trying to do that sort of, they're trying to push down that enforcement ro- ro- road as well. So it's it's interesting. Um, not that many regulators have pushed that, but they may do. Um, I think there's this real focus on making sure that people take ESMA seriously, but no one does. <laughs> um, that's, you know, a, a whole kind of fish here is when you think about the God EU level regulations not being implemented by national competent authorities in each individual um, country is another problem. Um, so you've got multiple levels of enforcement to think about. So I, I'd say in Europe, we haven't really seen too much dramatic uh, enforcement going on but that's not to say it won't happen particularly yeah, in some of the larger markets yeah i mean i think in some ways the structure of the eu and us isn't that dissimilar um i mean obviously the us is sort of a, a mosaic of regulators but in the eu you have esma at a european level but really it's the national competent authorities or national regulators that are really doing the bulk of the enforcement, um, at least in sort of asset management and securities and markets. I mean, the EBA has a little more teeth on their side, but I think, um, but I think you make a really good point about the sort of SMCR um, and, and interestingly, Ireland's looking to adopt a similar a similar policy for for the marketplace here. So I think you are seeing that concept of personal liability from the that the FCA really has pioneered. Um, starting to seep into various marketplaces. <clears throat> and it will be interesting to see, and I've heard no real talk of it, if sort of ESMAR, the commission, look to take up um, a sort of a European-wide SMCR, if you will. I mean, in the pre-Brexit days, it would, the, the template was very clear on these sort of things where the UK would sort of establish um, a new standard or sort of enhanced regulation, and that, then they would use their... Uh, influence to sort of push it through at the European frameworks. Now, obviously that can't happen now. So I think this will be interesting to see how the interplay works between the, <clears throat> the two regulators. 
yeah, thanks. That's, that's really clear and uh, a good outline. And, and, and you kind of mentioned some of the effectiveness. Um, in terms of the actual penalties and, and the rewards, uh, Virginia, maybe I'll come to you for this. You know, uh, are they enough to, to kind of send a message, would you would you say? And, and if not, what kind of improvements or tweaks would you, would you maybe make? I mean, if we take it from the financial institution side of things to begin with, I mean, we, Commerce Bank just got whacked with a fine um, for KYC and AML, AML failings, as, 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 as was referenced by F- the FCA uh, last week. I think it was. I'm trying to think. I'm losing track of the days now, whether it was this week or last <laughs> week. I think it was last week. Um, and it was interesting. You know, it's it's not a small amount of change that they've had to pay out. I think it's £37.8 million. Pounds. Um, and given the um, <laughs> length of time the investigations have been going on for, um, so they've they've been repeatedly back in and out of of um, you know going on site visits and asking the bank to improve its processes, improve the technology. And I know it takes a long time to to, to implement a lot of the things that they've recommended, but it shouldn't take that long. So um, I would say yes. I think financial penalties have got steeper over the years. I, I've seen the FCA get more and more and more. What's the word? I'm trying to be polite now irritated <laughs> um, <laughs> with the the lack of they feel that the industry is complacent it doesn't fear them enough it doesn't take the compliance obligations seriously enough they've said this in many letters so i've just seen them upping and upping and upping the the amount of uh, you know the, the financial penalty so you need the financial penalty to be and i obviously i don't love love seeing fines go out but I think it, it, if it does improve governance, it does improve, you know, the situation for people working in compliance. That's great. Um, you don't want to see compliance staff, you know, forced to work all hours, you know, understaffed, working with technology that's a million years old or that's not fit for purpose. You, you know, it really does need to be taken seriously. So um, as long as that's sort of an incentive to, for their lives to improve, that's good on the part of the regulator. And Obviously, if you think about KYC and AML, it's all about protecting the industry. It's about protecting the financial institution in the end, right? The the whole goal of it is not to just annoy banks by having to do this (laughs) stuff. Um, Although, you know, sometimes it does feel like that. But I I would say that that's sort of something to bear in mind. The seriousness of the area needs to be be in focus, you know, because those things, you know, anti-terrorist financing, that kind of stuff is important stuff. We shouldn't overlook it. Um, some of the other stuff, okay, some reporting infractions, maybe not quite as serious, right? If you think about the actual ultimate end result of it, um, it's important, I guess, for market transparency, but it doesn't result in, you know, terrorists getting funded, for example. So, you know, <laughs> all all in, in the scale of things, you have to think about the end result and why, you know, they're going after these financial institutions. That's the way I yeah. get it. Yeah, I think... Uh... Another element that sort of, if you can compare and contrast sort of uh, the U.S. versus Europe, obviously the U.S. has sort of developed the, the whistleblowing, you know, bounty program for lack of an eloquent term. So I think that is a sort of a different mechanism where whistleblowers sort of are financially rewarded um, when they do sort of uncover fraud or malfeasance. And I so I think that does sort of it's been leaned on increasingly in the U.S. in terms of some of the enforcement actions. So I think that's a that's a sort of a key difference between the two the two jurisdictions. Although we are in in Europe, I mean in in the U.K., we do have a whistleblower hotline. It hasn't been used, I guess, as effectively. Um, people aren't rewarded quite as much as the U.S. I mean, the crazy amounts of money that people are paid out um, 
from from the, these fines, you know, it's like three to five percent, I think it is in the US for um, yeah. an enforcement. So so you'll you'll net however much that is. I think somebody got paid fifty million recently for a whistleblower uh, or something around there in US dollars here, um, which is a crazy amount of money. I mean, <laughs> wow, that you wouldn't need to work after that. I guess you know that's that's the incentive there, right? But right. it does raise my eyebrow about you know. Does that in turn cause people to do things that they wouldn't normally do? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure. It's, I mean, there's probably no perfect policy. But I mean, outside of protecting whistleblowers generally, but I think it is interesting to see how the incentives line up when you start having that sort of reward or bounty program. Um, and I don't actually think we'll ever see it. You know, there's a lot of cross pollination, pollination in the uh, regulatory world between the U.S. and Europe, but I'm not sure that's one we'll ever see make it make it to this side of the Atlantic. <laughs> so do you think the uh yeah the investment to kind of make the, all this a bit more efficient is more in the, the kind of technology and personality uh the, the regulators level as opposed to um you know dishing out some of the, the money to uh to the whistleblowers? In terms of where money should be spent? The, the... Yes, yeah. Yeah, um... it's in terms of improving the, the process through that, yeah. I mean, obviously, financial penalties pay. I mean, they're almost like a tax on the industry, aren't they? Um, <laughs> not that I'd like to put it that way, but you know, it, they kind of are. Um, so, being able to catch people out, you know, is, is sort of part of an incentive on the part of the regulator to be able to, <laughs> to invest internally uh, in systems to be able to catch people. So, I mean, if you if you look about if you look at what the FCA has just done, they've just launched their really excitingly titled Reg Data. Um, reporting service which is replacing Gabriel um, and you know that's that's a big investment they've made to try and improve transparency to try and improve the process of, of um, filing and, and reporting into into the you know into the regulators so I think there's there's sort of incremental process going on Gabriel is getting pretty old by now he needs to retire head up into the clouds um, <laughs> <laughs> he's sunsetted so obviously we, we, we had to have something else replacing it and that's more modern and is is you know faster and easier to use although uh, i'm told that it looks exactly the same as gabriel so it hasn't changed that much um but i'd say you know that that's an important investment on the part of regulators so uh trying to make things as easy as possible for for the industry is also it should be a priority not just this whistleblowing stuff um, which is how most regulators catch people, I think, to be fair. Um, because if, if you have to sift through that much data and the data is not very high quality, how else are you going to find people, really? And do, you, do you expect any kind of uh, new new angles and storylines um, from, from during the, the COVID crisis? Or do you think it's um, not necessarily a, a free pass, but, you know, it's, uh, that's going to be taken into account with uh, some of the ongoing that have happened, uh, you know, have along this last, let's say, from March to, to December? So I think, um, I mean, most regulators gave some amount of dispensation or sort of uh, flexibility for at least the, you know, what I'll, we'll call the height of the first lockdown, you know, March through May. I think regulators will be less forgiving um, going forward. I mean, this is, you know, you hear that it's a terrible term, but you hear new normal. And if this is the way the world is now, I think regulators are going to expect um, <clears throat> firms to adjust to the new normal. So I, I think, you know, the, in the heat of heat of the moment in the, those first eight to 12 weeks, there certainly is an understanding that there was an adjustment to be made and best efforts um, needed to apply. But I think going forward, I, I don't think, you know, 
COVID will be an acceptable excuse um, from an enforcement perspective. Yeah, I can, I can see from some of the speeches that people have made recently from the regulator side that there's this growing, um, again, rising tide of unease that, that the industry is using this as a get-out-of-jail-free card, uh, and they don't like that. So I yeah. think there, there will be um, some you know, there'll be more pressure on the industry to, to make sure that, you know, writing things down, for example, when people are, you know, doing activities and making logs of things aren't, aren't sort of left to the wayside. <laughs> um, right. you, you know, the, the proper reg tech is, uh, dare I say, imp- implemented in certain areas as well um, to cope with a remote environment, if that continues to be the case. So, I mean, it exists out there, as I've said before. So, and, and some reg techs are offering services for free at the moment to try and get people on board. So if that's the case, then, you know, certainly this is, this is where you'll see, um, more pressure on the industry. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think there's just a a fundamental difference between, you know, the, the COVID outbreak forcing everyone to, to mass work from home, um, and essentially a contingency operation uh, versus where we are now, where it's sort of people are you know making very public statements about this is how remote work is going to be the new normal. And if the remote work is the new normal, then mon- monitoring remote work, remote work also needs to be the new normal. So I yeah, totally agree that I don't think uh, policymakers are going to allow sort of COVID to be the get, the get out of jail free card from here on out. Yeah. And I guess it's going to bring up a lot of new new things, isn't it? I mean, um, I haven't heard much about kind of cybersecurity breaches, but surely that must be there. Um, you know, something on the rise and under the microscope a little bit more, uh, given given the shift to, to working from home and working remotely, as, as you said, Sean. Right. It just int- absolutely introduces new new variables and dimensions to your cyber policies, and certainly, you know, I think across the industry, there's been a huge spike in sort of cyber incidents during this. Uh, time. So I think it does absolutely sort of add further challenges to for firms as they look at how they're going to control those risks. Yeah, I'm told that the there has been a spike um, in and it's industry wide across different financial institutions, because obviously cyber criminals, it's their, <laughs> it's their reason for being to try and find an opportunity. So, uh, it, and you know, there it's a business, don't forget, it's a business. So there's the dark web, there's all of this stuff going flying on, and a lot of it's being traded in uh, cryptocurrency and, you know, bitcoins, and um, they're paying each other with. So it's interesting. Um, we've got the uh, <laughs> the darker side of, of uh, transactions going on there for, for cybercrime. But certainly, I, I, I hear that there's been a huge increase in attacks, because these criminals obviously realise that there's some workarounds in place and there's opportunities for them to, to cause mayhem and steal things if possible. Good to know some people are thriving there, you know, just <laughs> mask makers and cyber criminals. <laughs> <laughs> well, someone has to benefit. <laughs> that's, that's true. That's true. Well, look, that, that was really interesting and, um, uh, you know, a nice angle for us to, to dig into today. So, um, uh, yeah, like I say, um, uh, that blog you wrote, Virginia, um, is, is up on Global custodian for anyone to read at the moment. Um, did we cover all the uh, the aspects uh, that were in, in that piece, Virginia? I think most of them. Yeah, I mean, it was it was really around sort of the the whistleblowing aspects and and the the varying enforcement approaches. I'd say. I mean, I think regulators could learn a lot from each other. Um, you know, in terms of of how they approach enforcement and how effective enforcement is. Um, I don't know how the EU level regulator or the bodies actually try and enforce on the national competent authorities though that's that's the most in, interesting enforcement actions i will i think we'll see um 
because up until now we haven't really seen much, have we? So let's see. <laughs> yeah, absolutely great. Um, well, yeah, thanks, thanks both for your, for your thoughts and insights today. It's been really useful. Um, uh, Sean, where can uh, where can everyone find your wonderful work outside of this podcast? Right, absolutely. As always, please check out uh, City Securities Services Insights at uh, City Velocity backslash Insights. Thanks. Last time we spoke to you, Sean, uh, you said you were giving you your day off the next day, weren't they? How was that? We're completely revitalized and uh, most yeah, you know, city, the roof. yeah, absolutely. Uh, city day off was it was a good day, honestly. You know, um, I, I look forward to the next one. <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, it's, uh, getting our uh, quota of saying nice things on every podcast here. Um, uh, Virginia, how about you? Where can we find your work and your insights? Yes, you can find my work on www.fintechfirebrand.com um, or you can just follow me on Twitter at Virginie O'Shea for memes and the like. <laughs> Great, thanks. And uh, yeah, still very much enjoying that that logo of yours, uh, Firebrand. So. <laughs> <laughs> There's going to be more from it. Don't worry. There's going to be... I've, I've actually got, um, I've got a, an innovation personality test um, for your financial institution survey up at the moment so it's, it's just like taking a normal personality test you just go through answer a few questions and it tells you how innovative your your company is or not <laughs> quite a few people have taken it so far it's interesting okay i, I feel a whole podcast coming on on just on that <laughs> <as well. laughs> we'll, we'll all take the test <laughs> Great. Well, um, all right. Well, Sean and Ginny, thanks very much. And everyone, don't forget to uh, subscribe on iTunes or Spotify, whichever is your preferred uh, platform of choice. But for now, thanks for listening. You were listening to There's Always a Fimra Gangle podcast with Global Custodian. <laughs>